I was a total bonehead for saying that. I was like, wow, like he seemed like really rattled about all this. It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael Houndog Harrison. Hey, after a long hiatus, I'm back. Welcome to episode 96, the Pavel Bure edition of the podcast. What an electric player Bure was. The Russian Rocket was one of the most exciting hockey players ever. And he actually wore 96 for a short while with the Canucks after primarily wearing number 10 for Vancouver. Why did he change it? Well, at the start of the 1995-96 campaign, he switched his number to commemorate September 6th, 1991, the day he first landed in North America from Moscow on the ninth month and sixth day. Huh, the more you know. After leaving the Canucks, he went to Florida and finished his career with the Rangers, which I barely remember. Another fellow Russian and Vancouver Canuck has followed in his footsteps this year with Andre Kuzmenko putting up 39 goals and 74 points in his rookie season. The number 96 also has significance for the fact that in the 1996 Masters, Greg Norman held a six-stroke lead entering the final round before crumbling and collapsing and losing an opportunity at a green jacket to Nick Faldo. Why do I bring up Norman? Well, he's now the CEO and commissioner of Live Golf, which I'm sure will come up with my next guest. So let's get to it. Without further ado, let's get Seattle cracking. Okay, and now welcome on Kristen Murphy. She's a past guest from episode 27, and she's a huge golf fan. You could see her work on TSN in particular on Golf Talk Canada. She's also a big Blue Jays supporter, so we'll surely discuss their offseason. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, Murph. Hey, thanks for having me again. It's great to be back. It's been a while. I know, and uh, I'm excited to do this uh, podcast with you. And I don't know, I'm not sure if you know this, but the last time I checked, your episode had the most listens in H-Dog Pod history. It must have been all the fiery <laughs> hot takes that you had. Oh my goodness. No pressure to back it up this week, son. But um, you know, I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear that. Um, always great to have people engaged and listening. Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, quite a, a lot of listens and uh, it was definitely a, a memorable episode for sure. So yeah, well, like I said off the top there, we'll dive into all things golf uh, in, in a little bit here. But we have to chat about the Blue Jays and their failed pursuit of superstar Shohei Otani. <laughs> Describe your feelings that fateful Friday a while back where it seemed like all was right in the world. Oh my goodness. Okay, so let me just take you through my day. I was actually at TSN in the newsroom with a number of other hopeful individuals. And I have to tell you, it was until it wasn't, it was one of the most fun days I've had at TSN. There was a serious, tangible buzz in the air. And it kind of harkens back to a time in the newsroom um, pre-COVID. So like for those that don't know exactly how it used to work, how it works now, but we're a little more spread out since COVID. And, um, you know, there's a lot less people in the newsroom and you're not sitting as close together. It's just a kind of a different vibe. But that fateful Friday that you alluded to, it was very much old school TSN newsroomy feels. And you had people gathered around one pod, all tracking the airplane, <laughs> um, you know, from anchors. Corey Warren was right in there to uh, my buddy Arden, who also happens to be an Air Canada flight attendant, oh. um, in addition to a story editor at TSN. And so, you know, we were kind of like, well, you're the flight guy. Quite the you know, combo. You're, you're, on, you're on flight tracking duty. you got an inside source here, someone who maybe has some boots on the ground that can get some insider information. And it was just, it was such 
it was so exciting. It was so exciting, and everything seemed to be heading in the right direction. And then TSN's Overdrive came on the air at 4 o'clock, and then all of a sudden you had, of course, there was the original John Morosi mm. tweet that Shohei was on a plane headed to Toronto, right? And it, he didn't confirm anything. He didn't say that Shohei had signed, nothing like that. But, of course, everyone tends to react quickly in this day and age on Twitter, social media. And so it certainly seemed like things were heading in that direction until the Nightingale tweet <sighs> came out dispelling all of that. And then that's when kind of the air started getting let out of the balloon. And if you were listening to Overdrive at the time, you could hear like the, the excitement meter from when they started their show to when everything started to shift. It was, it was tangible, just the, it was very deflating. And so I digress, although it was one of the most fun days I've had, it was also one of the more heartbreaking. And as a Toronto sports fan, I've had many heartbreaking days. So, yeah, that's kind of where I was at. Yeah, well, it's funny. As you as you just said there, as a Toronto sports fan, we're sort of used to these types of things. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like you said, John Morosi, an actual, uh, not not some you know, rando person on the internet was saying Showways coming to Toronto. An actual baseball insider said it, so that definitely got you all fired up. And, uh, yeah, yes. I guess, we're, like you said, we're used to disappointment, but... It's just crazy, and that's what the that's what Twitter. I'm never going to call X, by the way. It's Twitter. No, never, uh, never. That's what Twitter was made for. Days like this, where all the excitement of oh, is Shohei going to be going to Toronto or is he not? It was really, really obviously amazing there, as you said, for a little bit. But uh, yeah, it was. And, oh, man. Yeah, I have to. I have to say, I feel like part of the picture too. It felt like okay, maybe it's Toronto's turn to get a break to catch some luck after the way the Jays went out of the season. Not just this year, but last year, you know, they were up 8-1 against Seattle. And then, so it's kind of like heartbreak, heartbreak. Something's got to change at some point. And I think that's also sort of woven into the larger fabric that is connected undoubtedly to the Toronto Maple Leafs and kind of the disappointments that Toronto fans have had over the years. And as crazy as that sounds, they're completely different sports. But as a fan, just like the emotional roller coaster, there's a lot... I think it's all intertwined. That's a great, uh, uh, excellent point there. Salient point, good word. Uh, I feel <laughs> like uh, the, the the Blue Jays fans, what sort of was driving me crazy in the pursuit of Otani was this narrative that the Blue Jays never sign anybody and they never go for anyone, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, what? You, like, obviously, <laughs> to the extent of Shohei Otani, clearly they never signed someone like that. That's mm-hmm. not even, that, duh. But the last few off seasons, they got Ryu. They got uh, Bassett. They got Kevin Gosman. They got uh, George Springer. So this narrative of the Blue Jays are like penny pinchers like the Oakland Athletics. It was sort of driving <laughs> me crazy. And, and Obviously, I wanted Otani, but I almost wanted him even extra just to shut up these Blue Jays fans who uh, on Twitter were just like, yeah, they never do anything. It's always da-da-da. Like, what are we talking about the Blue Jays never sign anyone? That was driving me crazy. And, and unfortunately, for a little while there, it looked like uh, perhaps – I was going to get my way, and then it all came crashing down. It was, uh, oh, yeah, pretty rattling. I know. I know. Well, and you mentioned kind of that narrative, and then there's also the narrative of, well, no one wants to come here. And it's it's like, I don't know who started that. Obviously, there, there are many reasons why, you know, if you're an American-born athlete, then maybe you tend to want to play in the States. Fair enough. But it only takes one person to sign here for to dispel that. And, and I think part of that is a Toronto – 
because historically maybe they haven't signed the biggest athletes in the world. There's like an insecurity there. And then so it's put out there and it just kind of becomes this big snowball thing where I don't know how it came to be and what came first and what's influencing what, but it's kind of complicated and it's, it's, I don't know. I just hate the dialogue, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. And then yeah, baseball writers basically like, uh, Oh no, uh, the Toronto, it was, wouldn't be as good for him to sign there. And, you know, basically no one likes Toronto and it's so cold there. It's like there's, they play baseball in the summer. <laughs> it's, it's New yeah. York, Baltimore, Chicago, these, right. all these places, the same base pretty much. Uh, right. it's not like we're living in igloos, but it's just, it's just so sad. No. Like these actual baseball writers who are supposed to be in the know. And also here's the other thing, you know, obviously with us, we stay up later uh, with our work hours because sports of course go on at night, but for a lot of fans in the East coast, I don't think I would argue it's not good for him to be on the West coast. Like he already was for the first, I think it was seven years with the angels because a lot of fans are probably asleep by 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, but when the time he's playing, they're not watching Shohei Otani, which they should be. So he should have been on an East Coast team. That would have, <laughs> that would have been better for me. I'm not there even saying Toronto. Go. I'm just saying anywhere in the East Coast, it would have been better for baseball. Well, exactly. And, I mean, like, weather and, I mean, what people were, we're talking about cost of living, which is also hilarious. Like, given the contract that Otani was always going to sign, <laughs> I'm not sure cost of living factored into his decision <laughs> no. at all. You know, and he signed in L.A., so... But it's, it just goes to show there's so many different things that go into each individual decision. And I'm not just talking about Shohei. So to just kind of be like, oh, no one wants to come to Canada. It's kind of like that's, that's probably not the case. But we'll never know and no one will ever say that. So I still believe we're going to sign some big major athletes here. Well, yeah, the I guess uh, Cody Bellinger certainly is a name that's on you know the top of – a lot of people's lists, and he was a great bounce back season last year with the Cubs after two like dismal season with the Dodgers. So I think I heard something he's looking for around two hundred million approximately. Certainly a contract that's a bit scary to sign, given you know the fact that you know he, he was like I said dismal. I think he was like hitting like one seventy or something like that with the Dodgers the last couple of years, like really, really, really bad. But when he's when he's at his best, Bellinger, especially as a left-handed hitter. Is outstanding, but when he's, it's a very much of a, a risk, but something I think the Such Blue Jays are going to take. They're going to they're yeah. take that risk. No, you're right. It is it is a risk, but that's I mean, so many of these contracts, there's just there's no guarantees. So you you look at LA. I mean, there kind of looks like they're building a super team, but does that mean they're going to win a World Series? Of course it doesn't. And there's it's such a long season. There's so many games. So many different things can happen. And uh, it's just one of those things where, yeah, I think you have to take the risk and see how it pans out. But um, you just never know. And that's why we love sports so much for the upsets, the heartbreak, all of it. Absolutely. The, the, the ups and um, the randomness of, of baseball playoffs, too. Like the Arizona Diamondbacks, they won like 84 games. <laughs> they made the World Series. And, of course, all the Blue Jays fans were ripping the um, the, the, the show <laughs> trade even more for Gabriel yes. Moreno and uh, Gurriel. But it's like if – in a normal season, 84 wins. They probably don't even make the playoffs. No one watches Arizona Diamondbacks baseball games in Toronto, obviously. Nope. So, like, no nope. one would have really – it would have not liked the trade because Varsha wasn't superior with the bat, which is, by the way, how he was in Arizona as well. They got him for his defense. But, uh, you know, it, it just became even more heightened because of, the, of this random run. If, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the Diamondbacks actually beat the Dodgers in the playoffs. So, it's it, it just so random baseball playoffs. And that, that was the thing yes. that, was, that was sort of driving me crazy going into the playoffs – was all these Blue Jays fans being like, we have no shot of winning in the playoffs. They had awesome pitching, <laughs> oh, no. outstanding defense. Yes, the hitting was very, very hit or miss all year, pun intended. 
But it's like you just had to have a couple games where they hit, they got hot. And, of course, they went ice cold at the, at the worst possible time. I know. That's what I was going to say. And so often you look at a team's roster through the regular season, season, this team is significantly better than this team. But it's so much of it is about timing and who gets hot at the right time and who, like the Jays, goes cold at the wrong time. Yep, and uh, well, uh, that goes back to the construction of the team. Of course, Ross Atkins. There's, of course, the nickname Ross Shackins that everyone uh, d- d- says. But I- I'm going to defend him here. Obviously, he comes across as very uh, glib and sort of arrogant, and you know, he's the smartest guy in the room. So the way he portrays mm-hmm. himself is not good. Uh, you can't defend that. Obviously, clearly that, that, that he rubs people the wrong way with that. But there's mm-hmm. a time. From 1994 to 2014, where the Blue Jays, every single season for two decades, missed the playoffs every single time. And they weren't even, like, all that close, really, most of the time. And so, for all these fans to be like, they're terrible, get rid of them, da-da-da, like him and, uh, and Shapiro, mm-hmm. I would say take a step back and go, they've been in the playoffs three of the last four years. The one they missed was by one game. Again, we just talked about the random randomness of baseball playoffs. Clearly, it's horrible. They have not won a single postseason game. But I don't. Th- I honestly don't think Atkins is that much of the problem here. He's he's fielding a competitive team. They're spending money. It just hasn't worked. But uh, and again, yeah. it's his disposition. I think certainly doesn't help uh, well, his cause. Obviously, no, no. And I was going to say. I mean, speaking to that, the whole timing of Atkins' press conference after the Jays were ousted by the Twins. Like it, it was like a total media dump, right? It was a Saturday morning of a long weekend. That in itself looked strategic. It looked like, okay, we know we're going to be getting a lot of heat here because of the way things went down with the Rios. And so I think that didn't help to, you know, endear himself to the fans at all. And this fan base was so mad at that time. I remember you and I had various complications, but we were originally going to record this podcast much closer to that. And like we were so fired up. Obviously, as time passes, the sting fades. But in that moment, I remember we were just so blown away by the timing of the press conference. And then, of course, what he said, there wasn't a lot of responsibility taken there. And so I, I think people tend to react more to that emotional sort of recency bias when it comes to how they feel about front office guys versus like, OK, let's be reasonable here. Let's look at things high level like you were just talking about the last five years while what has been successful but people are way more knee-jerk reactions than that you know what i mean they're just because we're emotional beings so i think that's a big part of it certainly and yeah in that in the most competitive division as well the al east where baltimore won a bunch of games and the rays won a bunch of games uh and by the way they both also got swept just like the blue jays so it's uh (laughs) no one talks about that the fact the rays had a better record than the blue jays they also lost both games and scored i think one run or zero runs it was it was pathetic their display as well but it's just funny kind of funny how blue jays fans and i love the blue jays so much obviously but but we almost act as if like we should go 162 and 0 every single year it should be the easiest mm-hmm. thing ever it's like it's mm-hmm. a long season there's a lot of crap that goes on it just it just frustrates me that we have this like for some reason belief that we should be the greatest team in the history of life it's like it's sports it's baseball you're not gonna win all these games i know and then you look at the leafs and it's the Leafs have done so much damage to the fan base where no one even cares about the regular season anymore. It's, I'll see you in the playoffs because none of it means anything anymore because they dominated in the regular season or, you know, always like decisively made the playoffs the last few years. 
that now it's totally shifted where it's like, just call me when the playoffs start. Yeah, 100%. That's why I always say, like, when they started off a little bit to sketchy the Maple Leafs this year, my nephew, Josh, was like, I don't know. I think they might miss the playoffs this year. And other Leaf fans <laughs> were having a meltdown. It's like, guys, they're a good team. They'll be in the playoffs. They can go 82-0, and as you say, basically. They can go 82-0, and the Maple Leafs, and it doesn't matter. Who cares? It's the playoffs. And what do they do in the postseason? So, you know, they'll, yeah. they'll be in the playoffs, get in the playoffs, and you have no idea what's going to happen. So uh, hopefully, they're, no. of course, they will not run. But uh, It's certainly, certainly part of a bigger issue, I feel like, specifically in Toronto, where we're just – we overreact a lot. And I think it, it ultimately it speaks to a fan base that is super passionate about their sports. And I would much rather have it that way than have people just not have an opinion. I mean, it is overreaction after a two-string loss for the Leafs than so many fan bases, right, that could lose like 8 out of 10 and it's not even talked about. So obviously you and I are in sports, so we, we love the content, we love the conversation. So as much as it's people are crazy, we kind of love the crazy. I know I do. <laughs> it is entertaining. I feel people almost view baseball and, and hockey in the prism of NFL football in terms of in the NFL, like pretty much every single game actually legitimately does matter. Yes. And it's like there's a, just, you know, uh, 10 times the amount of games in baseball. But, you know, uh, in NFL, a two-game losing streak actually can crush you. But in baseball, yes. like a four-game skid, like the Jays when they got crushed by the Rangers there uh, late in the year, it's like <laughs> they, the whole season's well. over and da-da-da-da. But it's like, no, it's – I, I get the it. <laughs> yeah, I get the passion. I get the freaking out or whatever. But it's like there has to be perspective. Like in a different sport, uh, the Seahawks just came off a, a big win against the Eagles this past Monday I, night. I, I thought you might bring that up. I thought yeah. that might work its way in here. <laughs> but like, I, I was just basically on the context of like. You know, all these Seattle fans were having a meltdown about Pete Carroll and how he's the worst coach, and clearly he's over the hill, and da-da-da-da-da. Of course, no one was saying this when they had their strong start to the season. But going into the last two years, after they traded Russell Wilson, everyone was thinking, oh, the Seahawks are going to be a garbage team. They're going to win, like, three games. Geno Smith and Drew Locke are garbage, da-da-da-da-da. And, but because the, the, uh, the, the rebuild in Seattle has gone, in a way, too good, even though they're only, like, a 500 team, but people thought they were going to be a, a pathetic team. Because they've actually yes. been a competitive enough team, it's like, oh, why aren't we being the San Francisco 49ers? What are we right. talking about? Of course you're not going to be the San Francisco 49ers. They're a far, far better team. They are a juggernaut. So many great players. And the, mm. and the Seahawks actually were competitive with their backup quarterback against the Niners. And they almost beat the Cowboys, a team who's dominant at home at least. It's like – so because this – but no one – like. It's just funny. The expectations were are shifted and changed, but it's like so yes. ripping Pete Carroll. And the Seahawks Twitter was having, like I said, a complete and total <laughs> utter meltdown about him. Now he's brutal. He, he hasn't done Now, you can rip the defense that has been bad for many years, and I don't understand why it has been because because he's a defensive guy. Right. And it takes every year. It takes way too late into the season for them to figure out the defense. That absolutely is something you can, you can rip him for. But it's just funny to me how it's like, why are we – no one thought the Seahawks were a Super Bowl contender this year. In fact, I said going into the year they would be 10-7 and 7 and hopefully win a playoff game. Now, the last three games of the year, they play the Titans, Steelers, and Cardinals. They absolutely could win those three games, and I might be right mm -hmm. on the money with that. It, it, but I didn't, I didn't think they were going to go 14-3 and three and crush the Niners. No. So it's just funny how expectations change, and all of a sudden everyone's yes. now ripping the team. But, of course, they had a great win against the Eagles. Now all of a sudden we're back again. It's, it's just so yep. funny. It's just, and the I, I, the I said, pendulum swings. Yeah, the and I said this swings. to some work people the, the, before that game against the Eagles. I said, no, 
Don't fire Pete Carroll. He's had an unbelievable sustained run of success. It was their first four-game losing streak in 14 years since he's been aboard. The first time they've lost four games in a row. Like, calm down. Calm down. They're against the Niners, the Cowboys, the Niners. Like, it's just like, no, just, uh, but fans, I get it. Look, I, I love uh, ripping and ranting. <laughs> You're one of them. You're I get it. But at the same time, you have to take a step back a little bit sometimes. You do. You, do. you should, anyway. You should. It's not good for the, for the heart to be so, you know. This way, that way, up and down. It's, it's a roller coaster. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, just to tie things one last little bit for but the Blue Jays here, of course, everyone had that yeah. roller coaster with, you know, uh, the in-game decision to lift uh, Barrios for Kikuchi, which, of course, people were sort of ragging on uh, and they didn't love it, especially because it didn't work out. But it wasn't the, yes. the ultimate. Uh, it was, I think it was two runs they gave up. Not great, but not the end of the world. What people right. should have been ripping, of course, was the Vladdy horrific base running oh. blunder at second. And, of course, oh. the hitting was abysmal. Well, exactly. I mean, you need to score runs. It doesn't matter what you give up. If you're not scoring runs, you're not going to win. I know that's sort of cliche, but when you dissect, yeah, those plays, it pulling Barrios, I hated it. Vladdy's blunder, horrendous. We will remember that one for a long, long time. But there were bigger problems and bigger factors at play that ultimately led to them ending their playoff race. Absolutely. And well, it sort of reminded me, I think I heard some stats about Brios. The last several starts before that, he was pretty much similar to what he was at the start of that game. And then the second time around, he started to really fall off a cliff. It reminded me of the World Series uh, where the Rays lost, I think it was to the Dodgers, speaking of them, uh, where they lifted uh, Snell. Uh, early from, the, I think it was game five, and then the, then the Rays ended up losing. And everyone yes. was ripping the decision. But it's like, yep. and, and this is where it drove me uh, nuts about analysts. I've talked about this on this podcast before. It's like, as, a, as an analyst, your job is to try to say, why did they get rid of Snell so early? Now, you may not agree with it, but at least give some context as to why they would have done that. And in, mm-hmm. that, in that very World Series, his previous start, Snell, he was left in too long, just the same amount of time as it was that other mm-hmm. game. And then they, 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 they kept him in. He gave up a few more hits. The bullpen, thank goodness, saved the Rays, so it's all good. And then so that they were in the same situation in that World Series game. They went, okay, well, this is where he started to melt down last time. Let's lift him. And it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So then everyone ripped the, the decision. But I'm like, as a baseball <laughs> analyst, you should give the context of what I just said right there. Yeah, yeah, maybe I don't. I'm not saying you have to agree with the decision, but just say this no. is why they did it was because his previous start in the World Series, he got he left it was left in too long, and he almost completely ruined the the Rays' chances of winning. It's it's not that hard, but I, I find I always hate uh, results based oriented thinking. Only because it didn't work, it's the worst decision of all time. Well, yeah, exactly. that Rios thing might not have been the worst decision of all time had it worked, but because it didn't work, it's like, oh, everyone was just right. ripping it. And again, and again, I tweeted about, um, and I'm not blaming Kikuchi at all. I did, my, my point was, and I was being lost upon a lot of people who were uh, popping off on me. My point about Kikuchi <laughs> was, it's funny how he gets zero of the scorn for giving up those two runs. I know, right? When it was yeah. his, now, he's not, obviously he's not a reliever. Normally he's a starter. He came in with a guy on base. I'm not saying it was a good situation no. to put him in, but it's like, ultimately it's still his job to get those guys out and it's funny how he got zero scorn for that no yeah he uh he sort of got away with it because there was a lot of others gaining all the attention there it was just so so funny and weird to me but uh 
I digress, but yeah, it was a, it was a, well, it was going to be maybe a fun playoff run, but unfortunately, uh, yeah, that's uh, didn't last very long. <laughs> just two different days, but uh, so, uh, yeah, it was an emotional two days, but yeah, it was short lived. Well, well, we'll see what happens next year, right? hundred uh, percent. There's always next year, right? That's the classic yeah. thing. There's always yeah. next year. Well, speaking of next year, uh, the golf season is getting uh, close into the new 2024 PGA Tour season. Mm-hmm. But I think we should. Uh, this this. There's a lot of things to talk about from this last season in golf. I think oh, we should wow, go back. Yes. What stood out to you? Uh, the calendar year 2023 uh, of golf. Uh, there's a lot of things to choose from. A lot of things to choose from. The first and the the most obvious one, and it's been talked about so much, but for good reason, was Nick Taylor winning the Canadian Open um, at Oakdale. That was odd to be the highlight. I mean, certainly for us Canadians, that was the highlight. It was a highlight for me personally, being on the grounds at Oakdale and uh, being part of the Golf Talk Canada booth earlier that week. And then um, being on the 18th hole when he sunk the eagle putt. It was just one of the coolest moments ever and I think part of that was because it had been such a drought since the Canadian won that goes without saying but then it was a playoff multiple whole playoff and in the pouring rain it was just so dramatic like it was if you were making a movie about it you'd be like okay yeah let's have this thing not end in just you know after 72 holes but let's drag it out let's include some elements and have people running around the course trying to follow and keep up and then have it end in the most dramatic way possible, you know, 72 feet for Eagle. And it was, it was electric. And I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way, at least about the Canadian open, but I have, I have some other stories too, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that one anyway. Well, certainly uh, Mark Sacchino, Golf Talk uh, Canada host as well, had an epic, epic call of that winning putt yeah. by Nick Taylor. Swing of the putter comes up with some speed. Now up the rise for the Eagle. For the win! To the cup! Take it! The crowd is over! The crowd is over! Nick Taylor with the Eagle! The 2023 RBC Canadian Open Champion! History! History! He's an icon now in this country! He perfectly encapsulated the feeling of um, finally a Canadian wins our, 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 our tournament. And yeah, you, if you were to write that script, as you said, uh, you know, uh, how, how you draw it up, you would be like, okay, that's too ridiculous. He's not going to make a 72 foot putt to win. It'd be like, it'd be like, no, no, no. Your editor would be like, okay, that's a little bit uh, stretching belief. You know what I mean? Dial it back a bit. Yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. He had chances, uh, you know, to win regulation. Then, of course, Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, inexplicably made a really poor par at the end of regulation to get uh, to allow Nick Taylor to be in that playoff to win. Uh, yeah, uh, it was funny because uh, at the, I think it was yeah at the start of the tournament uh, he had uh, pretty darn good betting odds for the better that he would win. I think he was like seventy to one or something like that. And then I had actually forgotten I'd bet on him. And then early in the third round he was making a bit of a run. And I was like, you know, just in case he happens to uh, do well, I'll bet on it. I'll bet on him. So I ended up being like a ten dollar bet or something. For like seven hundred, something along those lines, right? Uh, and uh, and uh, you know the 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 feeling of he won. I was like, oh my god, that's amazing! I totally forgot I bet on him for like three to five seconds. I was like, this is incredible! <laughs> and then I was like, wait a minute, yes, I bet on him as well. And it was just it was like even more incredible. Yeah, <laughs> it was the double like you know the celebration, and then like the wait a minute, this is even better celebration. So oh, that's. That's the best, the double whammy for you. It's very rare to. It's very, I always start talking about golf betting. It's super hard to win in golf betting. So, uh, you know, yeah. ultimately you, you, your heart gets broken so many times. I find. So what an absolutely that was 
uh, clearly an amazing thing because every single Canadian Open is upstaged by some news in the world golf, particularly about live, and it just ends up uh, yes. almost ruining the whole week. Okay, so that brings me to a couple of my other sort of favorite stories from the season, if you'll allow me. Of course. Um, yeah, so obviously, the, you know, you have to take into account the majors, the four majors. And so this year we had we had Rom and Kepka, two absolute juggernauts of the sport, win majors. And then we had Wyndham Clark and Brian Harmon. Wow. So <laughs> the, uh, the, the, just the contradiction, the... The I don't know the difference between just the caliber of players. Obviously, how much they move the needle. Brian Herman and and Wyndham Clark don't move the needle, and so you had two sort of huge juicy stories, and then two not so much. And that's not to take anything away from the individual accompli- accomplishments of what those guys did, but to me, what stood out was some of the the more emotional stories that happened in very run-of-the-mill regular PGA Tour events. And what comes to mind is Camilo Vijegas winning yes. in Bermuda after, you know, he's had such an emotional, difficult story, losing his daughter a few, a few years back and then working his way back on the tour and then to actually win again at, you know, over 40 years old was incredible and emotional. And then there was Eric Van Royen who dedicated his week at the Worldwide Technology Championship to his college buddy who was also battling cancer. And then Van Ruyen ends up winning. It's, you know, it's tears on the green. And then just a few weeks after his, uh, his good friend ended up tragically passing away. And so like those human stories to me just stood out so much more than the Open Championship and the US Open, but it's, it's just not usually like that in a PGA Tour season. Certainly, and that's the thing. Uh, that's what I, I try to say, but to, to fans that, or you know, people who might not be huge into golf, it's basically mm-hmm. it's a story behind these players. Like you can want anyone to win, of course. It's, it's, it could be an exciting finish, but when you know, like you said, the Camilo Vajegas, you know, was going to be a superstar 15 years ago, won a couple of big FedEx Cup events, and basically largely fell off the face of the earth for forever. Uh, you know, as you said, the personal tragedy, and also just his swing lost that left him, and all this stuff. And then the Van Royen one, well, yeah, that was super. Um, you know, emotional when he won. Those are the, those stories when you actually know the players and their life story. That's what brings it uh, the you know um, makes it so much better when they do win. Yes. And, and oftentimes they, like, as you mentioned, they don't end up winning. It ends up being the better player ends up winning, not the better story ends up winning type right. thing. But that's why I love these. I love these. Um, uh, events toward the end of the season where no one's playing. First of all, it's fun to yeah. bet on because anyone yeah. could win, oh, uh, and as opposed to just you know John Rom, Kepka, whatever you know the the, yes. the obvious players are going to win type thing. But also, yeah, you just get random names you haven't seen in a long time. You get random stories like uh, you know, and obviously it's good to see a, a vet who hadn't won in forever win or a, a you know youngster like. Um, uh, Ludwig Ludwig Ober, oh, man, that name. Yes, uh, he, he yes. wins his first tournament. It's like uh, these uh, these fall events. I didn't. I can't say I watch uh, them like crazy. I'm always following on mm. my phone. But these yeah. uh, the stories, the human element, as you say, is just uh, outstanding with them. Right, and then how about the comeback story of uh, Ricky Fowler at the Rocket? Yep, Jason Day as well. Yes, they both hadn't well, won in forever, yeah. and they were both you know superstars, and they yeah, hadn't won. Exactly. Like looking back, it. I mean, and. It, of course, you have to take into account all the live, I say side story, but really it's at the forefront. But there was so much going on in the golf world this season, last season as well. Um, and the more I think about it, the more I'm like, oh, yeah. And then remember when that happened and this happened? <laughs> and it's uh, golf, I feel like it's just, it's in a 
scary place because of what's going on with Live and the the Saudi investment fund. But it's also, as far as content and kind of gaining eyes, it's a fascinating time in the world of golf. And it's, you know, traditionally a sport that's been sort of considered boring to people that aren't as hardcore into it, like you and I and Scully um, are into it. So I, I think, I don't know, hopefully in the end, maybe it actually ends up attracting more fans to the game, but I, that remains to be seen. Well, I find funny uh, on, uh, speaking of where we were talking about Twitter earlier, uh, the live golf uh, fanatics on Twitter. Uh, it, it's so funny how they will post stuff out intentionally trying to troll people and there's a few even co-workers of ours who will take the bait every single time. The, the mouse trap is set for them. Yeah, totally. The mouse trap is set for them, and every single time they take the bait and they go, they freak out on them. It's so funny because that's exactly what they want, and it works every single time. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And it always seems to come back to Twitter and just the electricity that is on that app. And you're right. I'm, I'm not going to call it X either. So. No, no chance. Yeah, I, I, it's so funny. Sometimes uh, I'll tweet something out and it's like, this is going to be a good one. Like, uh, this is going to really be a, a hot tweet. And nothing comes from it. And then I tweeted out a few weeks ago, I'm never calling it X. Just call it Twitter. And that tweet was the one that blew up. I was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that at all. Honestly, it's just That's so it's so funny, that right? Sums it up. That sums it up in that one that one situation perfectly. It definitely does. Uh, well, uh, of course, we, we were mentioning Liv there, the uh, mm-hmm. elephant in the room in terms of the player who left for Liv. And I got texts from a lot of buddies who were confused by this because they were like, "Wait, didn't Liv in the PGA Tour and all this? Didn't get the? Isn't there a, a deal that's being done?" But yeah, John Rom signed for a bazillion dollars to go to Liv. Uh, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? It seemed like a smart play by him, probably. I mean, I guess that's I mean financially, sure, definitely smart. I would, I will say, I was surprised. You know, obviously there were rumblings. I just mean I was surprised once, like with the initial rumblings. Once it was actually a done deal, like, that didn't surprise me. Uh, but seeing the press conference, like when he initially kind of announced it, he just, I don't know, he seemed void of a soul. And I know that sounds dramatic, but he's up there wearing like the you know, the, the jacket with the leather sleeves and the live and the live in the background. And he just, I don't know, he's just pumping out those lines that we hear from all the guys that have gone across to live about growing the game and, you know, attracting new fans and I don't know, changing up the format, all this stuff that most of these guys have openly said in the past, they're, they don't like. And Rom was one of those guys and he specifically was quoted saying, you know, $400 million wouldn't change my lifestyle at all and blah, blah, blah. So it, it definitely seemed it like he was a hypocrite. But I also understand he's got his Masters. He's won the U.S. Open. He's As far as timing, it makes sense for him right now. He's exempt from the majors for the foreseeable future. And, and who knows what will change as far as credentials you need to get into the majors by the time his expire, right? So... I think he probably knows that things might change and he's secure as far as the majors are concerned. $400 million is nothing to shake a fist at. You're talking about securing your family, you know, your friends, whoever for generations and generations. So I have, having never been in a position to say yes or no to something like that, I can't criticize someone for taking that money. Um, He's one of, he's, one of my favorite players to watch. But what I find interesting is that 
I know that him going over to live won't make me watch live because I've no. already tried mm-hmm. and I just find it funky and gimmicky and I, I can't force myself to be interested and I have tried. I've given it a try. I'm sure you have. Um, and him playing over there just absolutely means doesn't mean anything for me personally as far as watching. No, hundred percent. I've I've uh, you know watched the highlights a couple times. I've watched around, and it's like this is just it's just funky exhibition golf. It's as you said, it's funky. Funky. It's a great word for it. Uh, just bizarre. <laughs> I do love one of the few players actually I really miss. It's sort of a it'd be off the sort of radar player I think, but Harold Varner, Harold Varner the third. Uh, just an awesome personality, really fun player. Uh, yes. Looked like he was finally going to win the win on the PGA Tour. He won a Saudi tournament, uh, the Saudi International, and then eventually went to live. But he was really refreshing with his thoughts about why he went yes. to live. Basically, yeah, I took the money. Like anyone RBC, else who says otherwise is lying to well, you. Right? Yeah. He was an RBC guy as well. Yeah, right? that's true. Right there with DJ. and You're right, though. At least he said what he said and was just more honest about it, just like Dustin Johnson was. And I don't know, like the visceral towards DJ, like, there wasn't really any. Mm-hmm. Part of that is the way he is and the way he carries himself. Like He's just kind of like ho-hum, you know, money. I don't think it shocked anyone, and he didn't really try and sugarcoat it. So, I don't know. I think people have more respect for that than kind of with Ron. It's just always been about the history of the game, and I'm a student of the game, and Sebi Baisteros, and, you know, those that came before me, and it's like, ah, I just don't know what this move does to kind of contribute to that legacy. It just, it doesn't. No, allegedly they're, they have a time, uh, you know, set for the end of the 2023 to have some sort of deal. No one knows what that looks like. As I said, it's mm-hmm. sort of a confusing time with people. Like, well, I thought, you know, they, they'd already uh, made a deal. No, no, it was a, a framework of a deal was in place, but it wasn't actually a deal, and all sorts of moving parts with all this. Uh, and you know, I'm sure it'll be so much more information to glean from that later on. And one of the players who I'm surprised we haven't talked about him yet, considering we're discussing golf. At the forefront of all this deal is, of course, Tiger Woods. Uh, oh, yeah, actually played. That <laughs> yeah, that guy. He played uh, twice here uh, at the PNC Championship and the Hero World Challenge. What are your expectations for him in 2024? Okay, so I was following both of those tournaments pretty closely. And, I mean, let's be honest. The PNC is, as Tiger has called it in the past, it's a hit and giggle. It's a parent-child. It's two days of quote-unquote competition. It's you know, it is not by any means a PGA Tour event in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. However, you get a look at how he's walking and all that, and his walk certainly looks as good as as it has. We saw him a couple of weeks before that at his tournament in the Bahamas, and there we saw, I think, what most people that follow golf closely expected were sort of flashes of brilliance in the old Tiger, but then also kind of mental lapses and maybe him looking a little bit fatigued down the stretch and man he was sweating profusely in the Bahamas <laughs> yeah. I know it's I know it's hot but no one else looked the way he did at the end of those rounds I don't know I just man get this man an ice bath <laughs> but but he's like smiling he seems to be enjoying himself and I just think for fans and for myself I'm trying to appreciate just seeing him at all because you just never know with everything that he's endured things could end suddenly i mean like who knows you know you tweak something and it's at some point he will stop playing golf as much as we hate to think about that he will so okay so he has said his goal is going to be to play once a month in 2024 um 
probably starting at the Genesis, I think is what most people are speculating. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, once a month, I think is ambitious. I don't think it's impossible, but I don't know that we're going to see like quality tiger kind of in the mix, not even in the hunt, but in the mix, you know, making cuts, actually contending. I don't know that we're going to see that month to month. I think that's pretty difficult. And then you, that that's just dealing with tiger's issues himself physically. But then you also have, just the caliber of players on the PGA Tour. You mentioned Ludwig Oberg. I mean, he's just getting started, and he is certainly looking poised to be one of the best on tour. He certainly has the skill set. And then there's all the other guys, like the guys that we know, the Justin Thomases. You know, just there's so much competition. So I think for Tiger, I guess if I'm talking about, do I think he's going to win again? I think it's going to be really, really tough. I agree with that. And, uh, you know, before he won the 2019 Masters, I had always said leading up to that, that I do believe Tiger will win a major again. And, and I even I was steadfast in that. I said, as long as he's healthy, of course. Now, yeah. in this sense, we fast forward to now, as much as I would love to see him win a major, I probably don't think he will uh, win mm-hmm. one. But here's the the thing that I, I'm sort of waiting because he's, uh, he's close to 50 years old now. I think this is when Tiger, when he gets to 50 years old, then he could play with a cart on the Champions Tour. He could actually get some competitive reps under underneath him. Obviously not. The Champions Tour is obviously not the PGA Tour, but there's still it's still a decent tour out there. They can, you can have be to comp- contend with Bernhard Longer out there. Uh, oh yeah, Bernhard Longer will be like he'll be 70 years old. Bernhard and still winning tournaments. He's like guys, a legend. What an incredible player. But yeah, yeah, Tiger at 50, he can play the Champions Tour, play a bit more because he could use a cart then. Then he could have reps for the majors and actually be not just a guy once a month I'm going to play because, that, as you right. said, it's sort of impossible to jump onto a major and, and expect to actually compete. I think that's when he can, can maybe do it. And also, I really do believe Phil Mickelson winning and being the oldest male golfer to win a, a major at 50, that is going to be that bar. Tiger, of course, Tiger was better in his career than Phil was. So I think that's going to be, you know what? I want to beat this guy one more time. And I think if he can play, once he gets to 50 years old, play a bit more in the Champions Tour, then he can be a bit more sharp, go into probably the Masters. Let's be be realistic with a a small field. And uh, maybe he can maybe pick off one more and beat uh, Phil in in that record. That's uh, Tiger's goal. It has to be his goal. And then maybe, maybe he could do that. I really hope you're right about that. You have me starting to believe. It, it, it obviously would be just to have him even in the mix would be exciting. But it, it, it yeah. as we said, it's so tough to think that you're just going to jump onto a major venue and, you know, against the best players in the world over a 72 hole stretch anyway, uh, compete to win. But, uh, you know, if anyone, if anyone could do it, it certainly That's would be right. Tiger. No question about That's, that. You're right. You're right about that. And speaking of Tiger, I wanted to bring this up. You mentioned Adam Scully. Uh, he had a hot take. He, he and I had a text back and forth a couple of days ago, and he okay. strongly disagreed with me. So I want to see your thoughts on this. Oh, okay. uh, And it involves Tiger Woods. Uh, okay. uh, there's rumors that Tiger Woods is switching. He's not going to be uh, wearing Nike uh, you know, uh, um, shirts and you know, hat and all that stuff. Uh, right. uh, apparently, he might not. It might be the last time we've seen Tiger wearing Nike, Nike outfits. Uh, and, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that's, uh, you know, rattling and you're so upset about that or you don't care at all? (laughs) It doesn't rattle me. I think it it would be weird, just different to see him in something else. But I mean, I don't know. Is it unthinkable that he would try something else? It's obviously he's just so associated with the Nike swoosh, but when we saw him wearing the foot joy shoes, 
Like, things have seemingly kind of been heading in this direction for a little bit. Like, to me, it didn't make sense. How come Nike hasn't figured out his specs? This is Tiger Woods. Like, why is he not wearing a Nike shoe anymore? Like, regardless of what he said, his response is, you know, is like giving him more ankle support or whatever it was. But he hasn't switched back at any point. And then I know he was also fielding questions about Nike recently. And just the way he answered, it just seemed like he was really sidestepping. And usually when that's the case, a la Cam Smith after the Open Championship, when he was asked about Liv, it was kind of like, well, that's interesting. You're not really working very hard to dispel the rumors. So I don't know. I wouldn't be like disappointed personally. I don't. I just don't personally care that much. But it, it would be a, just a different look. Obviously, that would take some getting used to. That's kind of where I stand. So where did you guys stand? Well, no, your answer is correct. Uh, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> you know, it, wrong. Yeah, Scully's completely wrong. He's been outvoted on this. Like, he was adamant that I I don't think – I actually – and so, again, this is only through texts. And, of course, yeah. it was fun back and forth with him and I. But I actually think this might have been the most fired up he's ever been or sort of the most vehement, good word, against me about how completely wrong I was that uh, I was a total bonehead for saying that. I was like, wow, like he seemed like really rattled about all this. It was so funny to me. It's like, yes, of course, it would be weird to kind of see him not wearing um, Nike. And I, and I later thought later thought about this. Yeah, it would be also mm-hmm. weird to see my boy John Daly not wearing loudmouth pants. Of course, it would right. be a little bit weird. But, ah, darn. But would I, would I actually alter my life in any way, shape, or form? No. Would I actually care? No. No, no, I really wouldn't. No, and uh, anyone no, who's so upset about Tiger, it's like, what? What are we? T- what are we talking about here? Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Well, I think I might have to send out him a text just to ruffle those feathers a little further. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, please do so and let me know what he says. But yeah, he was. He was absolutely. He was skewering me. He was. Yeah, come oh, on. Like, it. it was so so funny. I, I thought that was uh, quite entertaining. Uh, his thoughts on that. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Well, before I let you go here, a couple last things. Yeah. Uh, well, first. Uh, you told you told me that you have a new endeavor uh, next year that you're going to be doing yes. uh, with golf. Uh, tell us about that. Yes. So I recently took some training, and I will be teaching and coaching some golf with uh, with a company called Iron Lady Golf. Um, started back in 2011 by a good friend of mine, Lindsay Knowlton, who uh, went to Ohio State back in the day. She's also on the board of TaylorMade, and she started a company specifically geared toward women to try and get more women saying yes to golf because traditionally it was more of a male sport. And, you know, even in the business world, typically we've just seen it's more male dominated. And so a lot of women in the past have been hesitant to say yes. They don't want to embarrass themselves. So that's how it all got started. And since her company has grown, they do destination trips to Ireland, Bermuda, Spain, you name it. And um, it's just such an awesome network and community of women. So I'm proud and excited to say that I will be joining them as a coach. And so I'll be helping lead some clinics and lessons and tip nights and that kind of thing in the 2024 season. So if anyone wants to check it out, it is Iron Lady Golf. That's uh, that's amazing. And uh, I'm assuming that's um, uh, through Instagram and Twitter and all, all those places. That's yes. where they can find yep. it. Yep. All of that. Exactly. Well, and uh, I hope uh, throughout all this, you'll be able to go on on an epic golf trip. Uh, Ireland would be the number one one. Uh, that'd be for me anyway. The the number ultimate place to go to. Ireland would be up there for me. Scotland, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, oh gosh, I'll go anywhere. I'm looking outside, and there's a light dusting of snow, and so yeah, 
I, I would say yes to pretty much going anywhere to golf right now. Yeah, that'd be uh, abs- absolutely outstanding. And uh, yeah, we have to make sure we play, play a round of golf this year because it hasn't happened yet. But uh, oh, no. uh, this coming year would be uh, amazing. And uh, maybe you could teach me a thing or two because uh, sometimes I, uh, I'm not so great on the golf course. So. Um, lastly, uh, that. yeah, that'd be great. Uh, well, uh, I, I talked about social media, uh, for that. Where, where can uh, the people find you and your work, uh, on the socials and such? Yeah, you can find me at Murphy Marie, M U R F F Y M A R I E on the gram and same on Twitter. I've, uh, I've always got some takes out there and some videos golf related, sometimes not, but I'm super passionate about what I do with with TSM and um, also these new endeavors on the side, but uh, I know I know you're a golf fanatic like myself, and so if I'm not working on golf, I'm usually golfing or thinking about golf or dreaming about a golf vacation <laughs> or obsessing about Toronto sports. Um, but I have a lot of fun with it, and I've had so much fun doing this with you again. Absolutely, and yeah, and it's so important to have side side ventures and different things. You know, to, to keep busy and uh, to do different things. You never know what uh, may lead to something else. So, very very important. And as you said, this has been an awesome podcast. Uh, we can talk probably for another uh, seventeen hours or, or so. But uh, <laughs> absolutely, you know, this has been an awesome Christmas special. Everyone seems to have a Christmas special out. It seems uh, TV shows and you know uh, and movies and such. It's always Christmas special. So this is episode ninety six. I said in my intro to this, by the way. I tied in 1996 with Greg Norman blowing the Masters in 1996, and of course he's the head of Live Golf, so it all comes together. The, the, the big, the jigsaw puzzle all comes together perfectly. Nice, nice. Well, thank you from Murph so much for this podcast. It's been a blast, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, we'll chat soon. All the best. That was a blast chatting with Kristen Murphy about Toronto sports fandom, even if it means being crushed at the Maple Leafs and Blue Jays choke every postseason. Our number one love is golf, and there were certainly a ton of stories in the golfing world this year, none better in Canada than Nick Taylor ending the Canadian drought at the RBC Canadian Open. Some housekeeping items. The Seahawks better not fire Pete Carroll. He's done a great job with the rebuild, even if it's not resulting in 15 wins a season that no one thought they were going to do anyway. Stay the course. The team is on the rise. That's in spite of the Jamal Adams trade that admittedly has turned out to be an absolute dumpster fire, which was proved when he didn't play against Philly and his replacement, Julian Love, had two interceptions. And also Adams sped it off against the reporter's so-called yikes-looking wife, and then he doubled down on it. And oh, by the way, it cost him a pair of first-round draft picks, and yet he's always injured. With the Jets, he was fantastic and as durable as they come. Now, not so much. But this being the aforementioned Christmas special, don't you feel the holiday season is lacking more and more as the years go by? It doesn't seem like it whatsoever. Maybe it's because of the lack of snow in Toronto. I just hate that the holidays seemingly are becoming less and less about community and gathering. I'm part of the problem too. I hate just exchanging gift cards with people. Yes, it's very, very practical, but the magic of actually thinking about gift giving to someone is a lost art. I hate it. And I need to be not lazy next year and actually put effort into it me thinks I'll be having this exact same discussion next year. My New Year's resolution is to continue cranking out episodes. I know it's been a slow movie on that front this year, but it's been a trying one on many fronts. I do love doing these podcasts, and it was a lot of fun catching up with Kristen Murphy, so I'll be sure to continue them, and thanks as always to my editor, Grant Roberts, for the amazing job. Whatever holiday you celebrate, have an awesome one. Thank you for listening to episode 96 of the H-Dog Pod. Bye. Mm-hmm.
This has been the H Dog Pod with your host, Michael Hound Dog Harrison. Mm bang. Mm bang. Mm bang. Mm bang.